Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma session. Tonight I've been asked to, or I was asked last night to talk about evil. <laughs> Sorry. I was asked to talk about evil. Because when you when you look at the world we have one big question that I think is among the biggest questions that we have. Maybe don't realize it, but I think you could argue it's one of the biggest questions we have. We wake up in the morning, the birds are singing, the sun is shining. Maybe we have, well, we live in, a, in a, a world, in a universe that is just magnificent, stupendous, awe-inspiring. See these images of celestial bodies and it's just magnificent. You look in a microscope and you see the incredible nature of the universe and it's easy to believe that this universe is great. You look at the human body and you say, oh, the strength and the power and the potential, the human eye, what a remarkable instrument. nose, our tongue, our ears, our body able to experience such a range of experiences. The world doesn't seem that bad really. It seems quite good in fact. We're, we're shown I think generally and I'm generalizing, I'm speaking for people who are living in functional societies, who are functional individuals and functional families. Maybe I'm speaking to a myth, but it's important because we all share that myth. The myth of the functioning individual and the functioning family and the functioning society. I think many of us think that that's us, um, or that is what we should be given our situation. Everything's fine. We're taught at a very early age to 
uh, we're taught the existence and the worthiness of pleasure of the good things in the universe, in the world how to get those good things, we're taught this how to avoid the bad things we're taught to fixate and focus on the good on the happiness that exists in the world and so we're given this image of the world as being something great, something good. So the, what's the question? Well, the question is, why do we suffer? What's wrong? Often it takes the form of, what's wrong with me? Why am I not happy? The world's such a wonderful place. Why, why, why am I not perfectly satisfied? I've got everything I want. Why am I suffering? Or any number of such lines of questioning regarding this confusion about why when We've, we've been told all the various ways of being happy. Why are we not happy? Oftentimes the question doesn't come to us. It's still an important question, but it's even worse when we don't ask it, when we don't even realize, when we barrel headlong forward, looking for, seeking out happiness, believing quite firmly that we're going to find it, that it's there, it's, it's here, believing that I'm happy. And I say believing because one of the remarkable things that happens when you meditate, doesn't probably sound so remarkable, but it is, it's quite important is that you your perception of your situation changes I mean it clears up and you see how much you're suffering sometimes we don't even ask the question because we don't see how much stress there is how how imperfect, how I don't know what the word is, but how below perfect our lives are. So there's a question, why why? What's wrong? What is it that we're going to see, perhaps, when, when we meditate that's going to change our perception and help us to help us to find the answer to why we suffer, help us to free ourselves from suffering? And if you 
probably guessed because I gave it away. The answer is evil. The answer is that there is evil in the world. So I mentioned that there are in Buddhism considered to be five types of evil. And someone asked where I got that from and I I think wrongly suggested that it was in the actual Tipitaka. That was something the Buddha said. I don't have such a quote, but it's one of these traditional teachings. It's in the commentaries. So we have this body of texts that tries to figure out or not figure out, has has some insight and something to say about what the Buddha said to try and put it all together. Often it's just a matter of taking from various sources and seeing the Buddha use the word evil in different contexts. And so there is a list of five uh, types of evil. The list I found, because of course I've heard this from other sources, but the list I actually found in my search is in the commentary to the Udana. Pancha Maro, the fourfold Mara, the fourfold evil, the fivefold evil. So that's what I'll talk about today. This is important, this is it. If you free yourself from this, you're free to find peace and happiness. It's not as simple as just removing a thorn and going back to playing in the fields, but it really is the only problem. In fact, I think I would argue that from a Buddhist point of view, there really is nothing wrong with the world besides evil. I don't know how it's a bit imprecise because it's more complicated than that, but we'll see. So the first evil, I mean, the first evil really cuts to the chase. And the first evil is called Kandamara. So you might be in a position to experience great pleasure and happiness, but Kanda, Kanda is is what we generally think of Kanda is is you as the being, but that's not really technically what it means. Although that works for our purposes here, on a conventional level, it's just you that's the problem, not you in particular, but the you, any you, any person, the being that we're imperfect. Maybe you go out and the sun is shining and you think, what a lovely day, but then you get a sunburn. Or you uh, have see, see things and hear things that are wonderful, and then suddenly they change. And you have to, you have the same sensitivity to the pleasant sensations or pleasant experiences makes you sensitive to the negative ones. 
this uh, the sensitivity, the the inclination. May I hear this sound? Leads you to react equally strongly to other sounds. So the the deeper understanding of kanda is not the being. There's a lot of problems with beings. You, maybe you like sweets. You eat a lot of sweets, but then you get fat, and you get rotten teeth, diabetes, lots of sicknesses. And food is a good example. You go off into the wonderful forest, and you get bitten by mosquitoes, and so on. Forest is a wonderful place, but you've got to share it with all sorts of baddies. But deeper than that, more more ultimate than that is the uncertainty the good things will be unpredictably replaced by the by, by bad things meaning you can't predict when it's going to happen you're not in control of what's going to happen and so there can be no satisfaction you can't be satisfied by all the good things in the world it's not to say there's anything wrong with a sunrise or a sunset or, or even anything wrong with cheesecake for example there's just nothing satisfying it's not it's not capable of satisfying because it's impermanent the experience of whatever makes you happy is impermanent unsatisfying and controllable That's really what you see in meditation. You come to see that this process of experience that we used to think was capable of bringing us such happiness is just not capable of doing that. That way of, uh, that, that uh, endeavor is futile. Seeking happiness in things that are un unpredictable that are uncontrollable. It's not a way to find satisfaction. So it, it leads to dissatisfaction, stress. It leads to an increase in, well, let's just say it's not capable of satisfying. We'll leave it at that because there's actually more kinds of Mara, right? There's four others, so we'll separate them out. But you could argue, if we just take this first one, you could argue that, well, there are ways of ameliorating that. Maybe not perfectly, but there are people in the world who are able to fix a good number of the problems. They're able to avoid, most of us are able to avoid the worst types of experiences, the most undesirable, or many of us are, in a, in a functioning society, a functioning family. We get good food, 
and we have a nice place to live. We have we're surrounded by polite individuals in Canada. It's a good example of generally being surrounded by a polite society, generally speaking. So you would say, well, this Kandamara thing, we can we can avoid that, can't we? And we would argue even further, some would argue even further, that maybe we can't, but we're getting there. We have the potential. I don't know that this argument, I mean, some do present it, but for most of us, I think it's just assumed that society and humanity is progressing. We've already come up with the iPhone. That's got to be part of the solution, right? Uh, no, I mean technology in general. Technology is, is certainly our ability to, uh, to cure so many diseases, making steps towards eradicating mosquitoes. It's apparently happening. Uh, AIDS is, is now no longer a, a thing. Or it doesn't have to be, you know, there are ways that they've almost eradicated polio. We're on the way, you know, we have the potential. Right, so there's another problem. There's another evil out there. And I think this um, this line of thinking is, is uh, easily countered, unfortunately. I mean, it would be nice if that were true. It would be nice to think that we're getting better as a society and it would be nice to think um, as well additionally not only that things are getting better but that they can perpetually get better but there's something standing in the way of that I'm not saying it's insurmountable but it's important to understand if we don't if we only work on fixing our physical suffering you're going to have a problem. Because the next Mara is even perhaps more important, more of a problem for us. It's called Kilesa Mara. So it's one thing to uh, talk about Kanda Mara as being experiences that are suffering, that are unpleasant. But what is it that makes them unpleasant? Something called kilesa. Kilesa means... Kilesa literally means uh, defilement, dirtiness, uncleanliness, something unclean, something defiled, tarnished. So a kilesa for gold, gold has kilesa. And the kilesa of gold is when you take it out of the ground, it's not pure gold. It, it's defiled by other types of metal. So our minds also suffer from this problem. The goodness in our minds is soiled by, is defiled by impurities. So when we look at all these advances in mankind, in humankind, in humanity, 
we have to temper that with the evil in in humans no what is all the driving force of a lot of our innovation greed so many ways you know how much of an innovator is war right a lot of our advances are are based on war based on our desire to kill each other to take from each other to conquer each other to control each other a lot of them are simply based on materialism our desire for pleasant sensations pleasant stimuli stimuli which again with the problem they're unsustainable and they're they're partial you can't love every experience it's not possible because loving one experience being attached to one experience means intrinsically being dissatisfied when the opposite experience occurs when the not x makes me happy not x leaves me unhappy unsatisfied that's just the way it works i mean this is how you see this is how you see how it works when you close your eyes and begin to look when you examine your experience Kilesa, our minds are not perfect. We could. I mean, really, the description of an enlightened being is someone who is at peace with everything. Is happy in any experience. But it, ha it can't come from craving, clinging. It can't come from chasing. That's always going to be partial. It's always going to create this dichotomy. Acceptable, unacceptable, pleasant, unpleasant. The only way it comes is from removing all of these causes of suffering from within us. The, the kilesa, greed, our desire for anything. You want to be happy with everything, you have to give up your desire for anything. It's just the way it is. That's a claim. And I'm not going to try to logic. It's not something that I can logically explain why it is. It'd be nice if it wasn't, right? It'd be great if all of our defilements didn't lead to suffering, but that's not the way reality works. I mean, it's not even logical to think that wanting could lead to um, satisfaction wanting is is a habitual state it only leads to more wanting just like anger leads to being more angry we talk about getting letting the anger out you know just release it somehow that's going to help and it doesn't it makes you more habitually inclined to getting angry Samara, evil. This is the evil. It's the one that the Buddhism talks about the most. Really deals with the most, because Kandamara, the the Kanda being the the things that lead to experiences. Well, we can't ever fix that. We can't ever say, "Let my experiences only be thus. Let them not be thus." 
but our defilements we can cleanse. We can work on the way we react to our experiences, the way we look at our experiences, the way we experience. Kile Samara. The third type of Mara, third type of Mara really drives the point home because you might argue, well, I get angry, but that's not really evil, is it? If I want to hurt someone, it doesn't mean I've done anything wrong, right? Maybe I had desire things. Liking things. What's wrong with liking things, you might say? What's wrong with liking this or liking that? What's wrong with wanting? Why is it a problem? We might not see. We, we can't generally see the this creating of opposites. How it create how wanting something creates the dissatisfaction. The third type of Mara is is this process by which it does lead to dissatisfaction because our defilements are not simply mental states. The mind is efficacious, meaning it does have results. It does effect affect affect our experiences. This is Abhisankara Mara, Abhisankara Mara, which means really karma. So on a coarse level, karma means killing and stealing and lying and cheating. You can't want something without engaging in some activity. The wanting leads directly to the activity. And you say, well, I want lots of things. It doesn't mean I go and take them. But it does mean that you're cultivating habits. And to, to be more precise, you're affecting the, 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 the future arising of certain experiences. So a person who uh, gives rise to, for whom there arises desire, there will arise consequentially there will arise uh, the, the the chasing after or the the imprinting in the brain in the body in the world around the many states associated with wanting you know it changes your body you want something enough you'll release hormones and 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 sweating if you if you your body tensing, um, just to speak of the physical reactions, and then how that affects the brain, releasing certain chemicals. So when we talk about habits, it means the cultivating of this 
um, inertia, no, the, well, the breaking of inertia and creating a new sort of force that has an inertia, has, I think what you think you call it an inertia of its own, it means it has a, a, a force to it, which is why you'll sit and meditate and think oh, uh, that somehow you can just turn off these emotions and you'll find, I know I'm, I know anger is bad, why am I still getting angry? No, it's wrong to be addicted. I, I know addic this addiction is pointless. Why am this is the force, the impetus that you can't just turn off. If you're patient, you can slowly work out, and you, you by stop you stop feeding, uh, feeding into the addiction or the aversion or so on. By simply seeing, I mean, this is what mindfulness is meant to do. Even when you're angry or grief or wanting something, you say wanting, wanting, and it, it weakens that chain because your reaction is not to, yes, let me get it then if I want it, or no, let me run away from it if I don't want it. Instead of that, you say, I want it, or there's wanting. You know, don't add baggage, just be aware of now there's wanting. It's, it's, a, it's a neutralizer. It just says, this is this. It is what it is, which is really, you know, it's unfruitful. It doesn't give rise to habit, beyond the habit of seeing things just as they are. Abhisankaramara, the karma, which really just means the changes that come about in, in our psyche and our, our being based on our defilements, based on our desires, our aversions, based on those things that make us strive for and against. Someone still might be unconvinced though, you know, building up to it, because I think the fourth one, the fourth, they, they, they all work. It's a really good set of of teachings. There's a, so the fourth and the fifth are still missing from the equation. Because you might say, we can fix all that. We can work it out. We can protect ourselves. We can um, maybe do... Well, engage in activities that keeps us from being dissatisfied. So we can work out our defilements. You know, our defilements don't have to be a problem because we can always get what we want, right? We work at it. We work at it enough. So our karma will never catch up with us. These bad habits will never become a problem because we can protect ourselves. Rich people, powerful people in our society, in this society, in this society, we're, we're, we're quite privileged uh, in Canadian society. Generally speaking, I think we're quite privileged to have have this protection 
from not getting what we want, we have a lot. And we can say, well, let's just protect it, right? Let's just work on our society and keep our government stable. This is why people engage in, in building up societies, because this will protect us. So what is still missing? What is still missing? If I get my life in order and I say, I'm doing fine. I've got this all worked out. I've got this life thing figured out. We're like Ferris Bueller. Such a horrible movie. Everyone raves about this movie that I watched when I was, when we, you know, we grew up with this movie. It's a movie about someone for whom everything, they do everything pretty awful, really. Steal a car. Um, anyway, and so on and so on. But this idea that everything's just going to work out if you, uh, if you just go with it. Anyway, there's probably some positive aspects to it, that sort of letting go, but this uh, letting, making, getting everything to just work out for you. Everything's just going to work out. So we have two more problems with that, two more evils. The fourth one, Machumara. Surprise, surprise, all the wealth and riches in the world all the power and influence, besides the fact that you could lose it, most of us could lose it pretty quickly. Even those who couldn't, who won't lose it in this life are still going to die. You can't take it with you. If you don't uh, cultivate a healthy mind, All you're left with when you die is the, the defilement, the desires and aversions that you've cultivated in this life. Our minds are the only things we take with us. But the good things that we find in this world are, are, are truly not able to satisfy i mean they're they're unsustainable not just because they could disappear and you could be left bereft in this life but because they will they have to that the causal power the the um creative power of our our mental inclinations, our defilements, our, our goodness and our badness really will never will not be denied, cannot be put off forever. An evil person cannot uh, prosper infinitely. They prosper because of this protection, the ability to protect yourself in life, surround yourself with all sorts of good things. But those good things that you surround yourself are not productive of more good things. The power that we have in this life is not productive. The wealth is not productive of more wealth. When you die, you can't buy your way to heaven. That's not what leads to heaven. 
In fact, it's usually the opposite. A person who is not attached to wealth will be much lighter in mind. Their mind will be much lighter and much freer, much more likely to go to heaven. Or to be born rich, for example. A person who is very charitable. This is the nature of things. This opposites. You create opposites. When you want something, you create the dissatisfaction. And so on. And the fifth one, the fifth one is the Mara that most Buddhists are familiar with. It's called De Devaputta Mara. We have all sorts of stories, and these ones are actually in the canonical texts. Stories of beings that try their hardest to bring harm, to make beings suffer. Uh, to, to keep beings from freeing themselves from suffering is how it's how they're portrayed in Buddhist texts that these being these uh, beings like monks and and lay people who strive to become free from suffering even angels who strive are being harassed and targeted by other beings who don't want them to become free from suffering For various reasons so they're depicted as angels who really like things like conflict they like excitement and so the idea of, of people meditating silently is just abhorrent to them because they delight in the conflict and chaos and the excitement of creation They like it when we go to war. I find this aspect of, of Buddhism difficult to teach because I know a lot of my audience doesn't have a real sense that such things exist. It's often quite turned off by the idea that there are angels or demons or Satan because it seems so, so far removed from this practical um, empirical practice of insight meditation and 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 it is agreed so I, I want to preface this part by reminding us reminding everyone what's important important is not whether this or that type of being exists when we talk about deva putta the angel mara as an angel as a as a manipulative angel important is what that means what it means is evil comes from without not just in our experiences but from influence by other beings and if we put it that way i mean that's the teaching here that's what's important about this and all of us can relate you know is there anyone who doesn't know someone else who is manipulative someone who outright wants to hurt us or more sinisterly, wants to manipulate us, wants to attract us and pull us into a trap, or or even uh, ju just be a parasite, sucking us dry, abusing friendship and so on and trust, lying to us, 
uh, bullying us, um, controlling and manipulating and so on. Tons, everywhere, everywhere you go. People want to help me. Great. That's very kind of you. And, uh, it turns out that it's all a con, con artists of the world. Family members, relatives, friends, even even husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, lovers can be very manipulative, uh, needy, and uh, create much stress. The stress and suffering that comes from things like marriage and, and romance What's wrong with us? What's wrong with that we didn't have the fairy tale ending that we see in the movies? I think this whole talk, it's important to mention movies, mention our myths, our stories, and remind us how dangerous myths and legends and stories can be. Because they don't take, they don't rely upon reality. We're so keen to hear the stories, watch the stories, you know, be be entertained by the stories. Because they can be how we wish things were. They, we, they can be how. They can be how we think they should. Things should be. They can be anyway. They can manipulate, they can pull us away from happiness and bring us back to happiness. They can manipulate us in any way that we want. They're infinite. Infinitely superior to reality in that way. There's only one thing that reality has going for it. Only one thing. If you compare reality and, and illusion, the illusion that the world is a wonderful place, that I can find happiness, What's the one thing that reality has over our fantasies? Javen? It must be obvious. It's obvious, isn't it? It's real. It's real. <laughs> yes. Yes, it has something. You'll never get that in fantasy. And and that's it's important. It's important because you can't escape reality. In order to have fantasy, you need reality. So no matter what fantasy you might have, no matter what belief you might have, this is why belief is, is so problematic, because we rely on belief too much. Generally, we'll, we'll say, well, I believe. And again, I've said many times, this is meaningless. When you say, I believe, it's a, it's a useful statement. It's not that you should never say such things. But you should be ready to acknowledge the evidence and the reasons you have for believing X. I mean, I believe many things. But your, your belief and the extent to which you cling to that belief should be proportionate to the reasons you have for believing it. 
these are going our belief is never going to be a replacement for reality if our beliefs are out of line with reality if we fantasize about this or that if we have a a rosy picture of the way things are looking on the bright side of life there was another movie called life is life is beautiful or something that i saw when i was in university many years ago again and uh, it's about the second world war and it's this father's attempt to keep his son from experiencing the horrors of the holocaust and uh, it was touching i guess it was i think it was a comedy um but it does kind of miss the point i mean if we were to all just live our lives seeing the beauty and, and the and the good in things it really doesn't fix it doesn't it doesn't approach reality it doesn't actually fix the problem right if you've got an infection suppose you've got an infection or a wound that's infected and you like put some makeup on it or some tie a bow around it or put sparkles on it and, and you know maybe make it look so that the infection is actually nice and you go around and show it to people it's not going to cure the infection and it's kind of a silly thing to do you think well why don't you just clean it out and see it it sounds appealing to live in fantasy you know see that always look at the monty python always look on the bright side of life we're taught this unequivocally i can say that's the wrong it's a wrong-headed way of looking at things it doesn't make you happier looking on the bright side of life it's not being an optimist it's a great thing for a while it's always going to be circumscribed by the habits that it creates and their dissonance with reality how our desires eventually catch up to us we can be happy for a while as long as we have the, the power which doesn't come from being happy you know, the ability to maintain your happiness doesn't come from being happy it comes from goodness it comes from from purity of mind it comes from strength of mind the strength of mind that we have as human beings takes a lot of work and effort i mean we've got here through some very powerful states i mean these are all claims this is the sort of thing that we see in meditation do some meditation you'll see there's no question happiness does not lead to happiness be happy just be happy yeah what does being happy do for you what good is it to be happy sounds like a silly question but it's important because any meditator should be able to tell you it doesn't actually lead to anything good it doesn't lead to more happiness if you want to be happy there's something else you need to do You really do. The, the, really, the only way to be happy is to overcome evil. To, and and I don't want to sound like some religious zealot who is 
avoiding the pleasures of life. You know, we don't want to fall into that trap either of denying, just being this pessimist. A pessimist is the point. We don't want to be pessimistic. So when we talk about evil, it's important to understand. And sort of this is concluding the talk, I guess. That we're really just talking about misunderstanding. We're not talking about bad things. Things we should hate. Things we should feel guilty about. You shouldn't feel guilty about evil. You shouldn't hate yourself because you're evil. You should look at it scientifically. Let's talk about the science, scientifically evil, something being scientifically evil. Something is evil because it leads to suffering. That's it. We don't have to deny happiness. We just have to meditate, try and see things objectively. Look at who you are. Look at your states. I like this a lot. I'm addicted to this. That's what I should look at. That's what I should study. I don't have to judge it. Just look at it. You'll see all the evil. You'll see what is evil. You, because you'll see what is leading you to suffering. This, this is not the right way to, to act. It just isn't. This is not bringing me positive results. You'll see that. You'll see it again and again and again. You'll see these the things that I thought were going to make me happy. They just don't have the ability. They're not of the sort of the nature of... In fact, nothing is. The whole concept of something making you happy is just... It's unsustainable. It's wrong-headed. You lose your inclination to think that way. This will make me happy. That will make me happy. How much stress and how much suffering comes from that line of thinking? This is what you'll start to see. So when we talk about evil, we just mean... We're really just talking about the cause of suffering. We all want to be happy. So... There you have it, all five types of evil. We know what we have to fight against. That's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.